Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com or Blue Sky at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Blue Sky, Twitter, X, uh, Instagram, whatever your social uh, poisons are. Uh, I'm usually there at Scavendish. Uh, if you like the show, the one you're listening to right now, rate it, review it, subscribe to it. Uh, but most of all, tell someone you love Lamestream Sports and they will too. And that is not Steve's opinion that it's poison. That's in their own emails. Uh, Emma Lingen is on the show today as our guest. She writes for the Hockey Writers, covering the Nashville Predators. She also, in the interest of full disclosure, does a Predator show on this here network, the Gold Standard Podcast, of course, with myself and Michael Gallagher. And you can also catch her frequently on the It's All Your Fault podcast from the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. So uh, she's uh, got a fascinating background and interest in so many different things. Cross the street from like the light into the Predators. <laughs> we'll call it the bowels of 501 Broadway. Uh, and then, of course, uh, has now crossed back across the street and is a part of the media covering the team. Uh, but what does that entail? It, it creates a lot of interesting dynamics mentally from a coverage standpoint. And I, I w- Steve, I think you and I have to make one incredibly important point to to a lot of our audience before we talk with Emma. Then we'll come back afterward and we'll have a conversation about MLS referees. <laughs> Sound good? That sounds fantastic. <laughs> uh, of course, also some some news in the college football world about the structure of their uh, of their sport as well. So lots of stuff to do. Flamestream Sports brought to you by Eighth and Roast. Eighth and Roast. Eighth and Roast. They got better beans, man. Their beans are in fact just better. They're all over the city. You can get them in any grocery store near you. Check the local section, by the way, if you don't see them in the coffee section, you know, the main big old coffee section. Go check the local section. There's a few uh, grocery stores that will put them in different places. So check that out. They've got four great locations across the city. You got Charlotte Avenue. You got 8th Avenue, the the OG location. They're in the airport should you need a cup of coffee on the way out or the way into town. Although stopping at the coffee shop on the way into town is an interesting choice. Um, there's an, I think there's an entire comedy bit about Cinnabon. <laughs> from from a uh, a comedian I used to have a lot of respect for. How about that? We'll just leave it at that. Um, wow. And of course, their brand new location, their brand new location uh, over on over by Vanderbilt on West End. So make sure you go check out the new location. So there you go. Eighth and roast. Yeah, I think that was our best one yet. <laughs> Actually, don't overthink it, meat. Uh, okay. So uh, the point before we get to Emma, I I just think it's really really important, and I. I don't think for those of you who listen to this show, you probably understand this. You probably know this. And a lot of you folks are in the media and I think you get it. But for those who are sort of just fans of of sports media in general and, and sort of how the sausage is made, I, I think Emma sort of embodies an important point. And it is that despite what maybe cable news is designed to do on a national level or people that build their entire business out of outrage on like Instagram or TikTok, which is designed, as you said, <laughs> to to poison the bottom of your brainstem. If you are an actual reporter on an actual beat or covering an actual topic, the vast majority, I would say almost everyone I've ever met is not interested in gotcha moments it's not interested in creating controversy for the sake of controversy. The vast majority of human beings that do this work and get into this job covering sports is to tell interesting stories to people who care about it. Sometimes that might be a game that a team lost or a player that did something stupid, but the vast majority of that is about 
fun, athletic competition, interesting people doing interesting things. And large, again, I, I cannot think of a reporter that I know in this town that is out there trying to just be a dick. <laughs> like the reporters are they they just want to tell interesting stories about interesting people doing interesting things. And that's it. It's not more complicated than that sometimes. I talk about empathy a lot. I was talking about this with my staff over at the banner yesterday, you know, and kind of the importance of empathy. The thing that's valuable for someone like Emma, who worked on the inside for a while and now works on the outside, you would think that you would think that all all of a sudden she is freed up to she's freed up to to say what she really thinks and and to and to be super critical if she wants to be. But you know, with that insight, usually comes empathy. And usually comes in, a, and and she talks about this in the interview. Comes an understanding of, of kind of the amount of work and and the amount of of what's going into actual when you're when you're on the inside and you see how things are actually done and what the amount of work that goes into running a hockey team, and and that and it goes into preparation for being a professional NHL player. You know that empathy is respect, and and you have to have sort of that respect now. That doesn't mean that that respect it makes you immutable from criticism. It doesn't, but it does. What it does is, and I think, and I think Emma talks about this uh, very well. Is it just gives you a perspective that she that she wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think it's really interesting. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to kind of watch this stretch run and kind of Emma's work now that she's on the outside. Uh, in a very similar position as the as the Preds are kind of like on that line of are they going to get in the playoffs or they're not going to get in the playoffs are they going to blow up the team and they're not going to blow up the team it, it's you have you have like a, a one year analog to compare to and it's going to be fun yeah. to watch yeah uh, look I mean when you reach a certain level of national media where the stakes are so high that you have to be driven by different methodologies to to create interest engagement enragement whatever you want to call it like we know. Like, I'm not talking about the person who goes on Fox News and intentionally lies to the point where they get sued for a billion dollars. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about Stephen A. Smith shows and Skip Bayless shows where, like, the the medium and the outrage is sort of inherent. But I guarantee you... is the is the message. Exactly. It, but it, I, it, it just has different targets. But I also guarantee Skip Bayless, who went to Vanderbilt, by the way, uh, I guarantee you that those folks, Stephen A., etc., those folks did not did not start their careers being like, man, I can't wait to argue about LeBron James for an hour a day for the rest of my career. Like that's not <laughs> how they got started. That, that once you know, you I don't to, see, I don't see skipping the Vandy brochures much these days. <laughs> when you get to a certain level, like that's where the you're, you all of a sudden become the caricature, right? Like we've seen other people in Nashville media do this, where you reach a certain level of, of audience and you become the caricature that got you to that audience, but everyone else, <laughs> Like almost everyone else in the media is just trying to do interesting things about interesting people who are also doing interesting things. And to your point, a, a healthy balance of empathy and 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 uh, skepticism and objectivity, all that stuff mixed together creates a good reporter, creates a good balance between the reporter and the subject, and most importantly, creates a good story for the audience who cares about that team. It's just it, it this. I know that there's been an attack on the fourth estate for a long time from 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 some very specific powerful people in this country, and it's just horseshit. So I just want to get that out of the way. <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm off my soapbox now. Let's hear from a much nicer individual. 
<laughs> here was our conversation brought to you by Ethan Rose. Here's our conversation uh, with reporter Emma Lincoln. Emma, welcome to the show. Good to have you. How are you? Thank you for giving us some time. I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, first and foremost, we're going to spend some time talking about your career and how you got to Nashville and what you're doing now and, and your journey. But I, I think we need to start. Just just get it right out of the way. Do you, in fact, still work for the Nashville Predators? <laughs> I do not work for the Nashville Predators. As <laughs> of December 1st, 2023, I am no longer employed <laughs> by the Nashville Predators. Does Predators Twitter know that? I, apparently not all of them. Uh, as I, as I found out recently, uh, but no, I do still cover the team. I just am not employed by the team. I <laughs> uh, just want to make sure we got that. I, clear. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we should be using predators. Twitter as the benchmark for anything. I, that's what I told her. <laughs> that's what I told her. Um, okay. Emma, let's go back to where you're from and how you got into hockey and how you got to Nashville. So let's start with your sort of your, we like to start with your origin story, how you got into this godforsaken industry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess we can go probably back to when I was in college, uh, I, I've or even before that. I've always been a sports fan. Um, my parents are from Western Pennsylvania, so I grew up a Pittsburgh fan in every major sport, uh, watching games with my dad, things like that. And uh, I tried playing the sports and was just god-awful at all of them. And, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach. So I decided to go the latter direction with it. Uh, and, you know, when I, 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 to be honest with you, I never had any intention of making a career out of sports or sports media until probably my senior year of college. Um, I just enjoyed being around it. I wanted to go to a division one school to be around division one athletics. Uh, so I went to Wake Forest University, go Deeks, and I, I think it was the beginning of my sophomore year. I basically walked into the athletic communications office on campus and said, Hey, can I work for you? You don't even have to pay me. And they were like, dear God, yes, please. We, we need all the help we can get. Um, and you know, I think they assumed I wanted to work mostly football, men's basketball, which I did end up doing a lot of that, you know, keeping stats, calling stats, doing game notes, things like that. Uh, but when they asked me what my favorite sport was, I said baseball. And they're like, really? Because we can't get anyone to, to work baseball because there are a lot of games and they're really long. Um, and I said, yeah, I actually my dad taught me how to keep score when I was eight, uh, really, because he wanted to go to baseball games and he wanted to take me with him and not have me being bored and bothering him. So he taught me how to keep score. And so that ended up, I, I say, like, I tell him this a lot, that that's how I got my first job in sports. Because when I was in college and, you know, they're like, we need a scorekeeper for the baseball team. And I'm like, I got you covered. I can do that. So instead of teaching me, having to teach me how to score, all they had to do is teach me the corresponding key strokes in the, the system that they use uh, to score the games. And so I started doing that. Um, Wake did not have a hockey team, but I've always been a hockey fan. Um, the The baseball experience, like I said, kind of propelled me into my first full-time job in sports, um, which again, I had been looking, I was a politics and Spanish double major in college. I had 
no intention of pursuing sports as a profession. Uh, it wasn't until my second semester of my senior year, I think the, I found, I came across a job opportunity with the NFL in their like front office. And I thought, what the hell, you know, I'm having that existential crisis. I'm about to graduate college. What am I doing with my life? I need to start applying to any and every job that I can. So I'm like, let me just get my feet wet. I'm not going to get it, but let me apply and just see. Um, I never thought I would even get a response. Uh, but long story short, I ended up making it to the final. I was one of the three finalists for that job. I didn't end up getting it. But I'm so glad that they told me that I was one of the final three because that was what told me, hey, maybe I can actually do this. Like the people are taking me seriously. I can pursue this as a career. So like I said, relying on my experience in baseball, my first uh, job out of college was with USA Baseball uh, in their sports information communications department. Uh, went on to, you know, get a a gold medal at the Pan Ams, got a gold medal at the World Baseball Classic. Really cool experience. Uh, from there, I kind of took a little bit of a detour to a more sports adjacent job than an actual sports job. <laughs> I think uh, I was I went and worked for a tech company doing sports metadata, um, which was glorified data entry, but the money was good, so <laughs> that that was nice. Uh, but I was doing that. And then, like I said, I really liked hockey and being around hockey and being around sports in general. It was something I realized I missed was like the game day atmosphere, the game day rush. You know, you don't get that working at a desk all day. And so I came across, there was a part-time opportunity working for the NHL. I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time. So uh, it was a job with the NHL doing photography and social media for Carolina Hurricanes home games. I had no interest in photography or social media, but to me, that was like, this is my in, this is my opportunity to get my foot back in the door. So I'm going to do it. And it's really like fake it till you make it. I had very, very basic photography skills. Like I technically now, because I did end up working in that role for four seasons, I, I can say that I am a professional photographer. I don't even like calling myself that um, because I think it's almost <laughs> insulting to actual professional photographers, but I got paid to take pictures. Uh, and, you know, again, it was not what I wanted to do as a career, but I was there. It's how you meet a lot of people. Yeah, I made a ton of connections that way and so much of really any job, but especially sports. It's all about who you know, because uh, it's a really small community. And, um, you know, I did that, uh, went, that was what kind of scratched my itch to be like, okay, I want to get back into doing real sports coverage full time. Um, I ended up during the pandemic, I started a job with The Athletic as an editor for their MLB and NHL verticals. So I was able to do both, you know, both my favorite sports. And uh, I ended up taking on sports betting as well towards the end. Uh, again, that scratched another itch for me, which was I want to be a beat writer. I haven't truly been a beat writer for a team where I get to be an expert on a team uh, or on just one thing. And um, from there, I came across the opportunity with the Predators. They were hiring an in-house beat reporter. 
Uh, so I applied for that, interviewed, ended up getting that job, moved to Nashville for that job, um, but ended up getting a lot more out of it because I obviously I am not in that job anymore, as we addressed at the beginning of the interview, but I you know, was able to meet so many people, make so many connections, kind of establish myself as a trusted voice in the industry. And now I am still able to cover them, cover the team and cover the NHL as a whole uh, for for outside outlets, which is what I do now. I'm glad you gave us the full version of this because this answers a very burning question that I've had for a while now, which is how does someone with a background in Spanish end up working in the single whitest sport in North America. <laughs> That's what I say. I say this a lot when I when I tell people, yeah, I was a Spanish mate. I actually have a master's degree in Spanish translation. And people kind of look at me, they're like, what? And I'm like, that makes a lot more sense when I tell you that I worked in baseball before yeah, hockey. Yep. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, there yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, for my master's thesis uh, for my program, I had to do like a 40 page translation of an official document that didn't already have an official Spanish translation. So of course, everything I wanted to do something sports related, everything in baseball has already has an official translation because it's baseball. Uh, so I ended up translating the NHL official rule book into Spanish because as, it one, does, as one want to do. <laughs> right. And, but the, the best part was that not only that, because there's so much like lingo and so many things like, how do you say for check in Spanish? You know, it's like, I just kind of, how do you say for check in Spanish? I don't remember. This was a long time ago, but <laughs> you, you I think sold, it feels like you could have sold this to the <laughs> NHL. <laughs> that's what, so that's what my thesis advisors told me. And these are like a bunch of academics who clearly had never watched a hockey game in their life, but they're like, this is so interesting. <laughs> and they, um, you know, it's funny because they, the the best part was not only that I had to translate it, but then I had to go in front of a panel for my thesis defense and explain why this was needed, why this translation that I did was important, which in reality, again, it's the whitest sport in the world. No, but, but there's uh, there's some kid in in Costa Rica just like obsessed with Connor McDavid and just wants to be a, a star hockey player one day and because of your work, there'll be a, an ability for him to figure out exactly what a two line pass is. So, well, that's what I said. Hey, you want to grow the game? This is how you do it. Exactly. Uh, I want to go to your. Hold on. Let me let me ask one other thing. Yeah, yeah. Have Have you found any use for your Spanish kind of within the hockey world? Is there Is there anybody floating around who like speaks it, or uh, have you stumbled across you know a, a secret Latino player in the uh, in the league? Not with players. Uh, I will say I was able to do a little bit of work uh, when I was with the Predators. They have all of their, they have a radio broadcast partner with El Jefe Radio who broadcasts all the Preds games, home and road in Spanish. Um, and so <laughs> initially the idea was presented to me when I first got hired was, hey, we could have you on the air during a game. And I said, no, thank you. I can't even call a hockey game in English, much less <laughs> in Spanish. But, you know, I was able to kind of help build that relationship uh, with with the people at El Jefe and, and, you know, include information when I would write like 
game previews and things like that, I was able to include information about how to listen to the game in Spanish and I would write it in Spanish, you know, so people could understand it. So, uh, a little Very bit. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to your decision to go from like the athletic and you, you certainly gained a lot of different experiences through all of those different, uh, opportunities before you sort of start working for the Preds. What, what was your expectation on like coverage before that and the things that you needed to consider when you decide to, and again, we use this term cross the street, but when you decide to go from sort of outside coverage and media of a team, more traditional sense to working for the team, what were, what were the things you had to consider when you took that job? Yeah, it's definitely different. It's an experience that I'm glad I had because uh, working for outside media, you are in a unique position because you can be critical of a team or of a decision or of really anything. I mean, obviously you want to be respectful about it, um, but you really are allowed to have your own opinions about things. And then once you kind of cross the street, like you said, you go into working for a team, you're essentially an extension of their PR department. And so there really isn't room for opinion in, in your work. And I think it, which is fine because there doesn't need to be right. I think there, there are kind of pros and cons to either side, because when you work internally for a team, your access is unparalleled in theory. You know, you're, you're traveling with the team, you're around them all the time. You know, you get to know people on a more personal level and you build those relationships because just purely by the fact that you're around them all the time. And so you have that level of access working for a team, but in a way you're almost, your hands are kind of tied because you learn a lot of things, you hear a lot of things that you can't actually share and you can't actually use that in your work. And so it's kind of, you know, it's a balance and I'm glad that I've experienced both sides of it. And now that I have crossed back over the street from working for a team to now I cover the team for the hockey writers, I think it's, you know, it's because of those relationships that I built and established while I was working for the team that now, you know, I walk into the room and guys are at ease around me. They're comfortable around me because they know me and they know that I'm not there. When I, what I said before, when like you can be critical of a team, you yeah. know, I, they know that I'm not there to be like gotcha media and I'm not there to just completely crap on them and the, and try to call them out in the news. But you know, it's it's funny. Again, going back to Pred's Twitter and why we shouldn't use that as a measuring stick for anything. Um, when I did work for the team, again, like employed by the team, I would get tons of comments, like hateful comments from people who were being like, you're such a homer. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I literally can't, like, you understand, like, I need to pay the bills. So, like, I'm not going to go on social media and blast a team. You know, it was hard. It was really hard. I absolutely hated going into the locker room after the team lost, you know, a, a tough lot because they didn't want to talk to me. I didn't want to talk to them, but we both understand that we have jobs to do. And so that, like, I've, I got nothing but respect from the players, from the coaches and and vice versa. You know, we both kind of respect that we're each there to do a job. Um, 
And I think that that has helped me. Like I said, I made a lot more connections, not just with the predators, but in the NHL media community at large, you know, when I was working for the team, um, that now I've been able to build those connections and in some ways even grow them now that I am not kind of hogtied to the predators and to their agenda and to, you know, their narrative that they're trying to push. I'm interested uh, in kind of the crossing the street back over to what I would call the good side. Uh, <laughs> would were there any restrictions placed on you by the team uh, as as kind of like terms of employment? I mean, you didn't have to sign an NDA over anything, did you? Um, With the Preds. I Steve there. Steve she, we don't we none of us have lawyers <laughs> present Steve like what are you doing? I, it doesn't, I mean, I'm just I mean you could disclose an NDA without disclosing what's in what's in the NDA <laughs> I did not sign an NDA that extended beyond the time of my employment with the team so as long as I was right. employed by the team there were certain things that I couldn't do couldn't say um you know and and again it's kind of you want to play nice in the sandbox and I didn't want to just completely go off the handle as soon as I left the team and be like all right here are all the bad things that I've been bottling up for a year and a half you know because again I talk about relationships and that's what makes you good at this job and that's what makes you excel in this job and the reason I have those relationships is because I didn't just go on a tear and be like let me just talk shit about all of these, all these players and coaches and whatever, you know, you, you have to kind of toe that line delicately because if you kind of, if you start to build a reputation as someone who only craps on the team all the time, then the players aren't going to want to talk to you. And so like the reason that I'm able to get the content that I get, get the interviews that I get, um, just like the realness from these guys is I think because they know that I'm not that person. I also say it's because I feel like I look very not intimidating, especially to a professional athlete. Like I have been mistaken for an intern before, which I take as a compliment <laughs> because I am much older than any of the interns look, at the Prince. Look, look at the older the older you get, the more you're going to love that comment. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay with it because I think it makes people more comfortable around me. They they feel like they can kind of say whatever. And and again, with these guys, you know, a lot of the Predators players, like I said, when I was working for the team, we were traveling together. We saw each other more than we saw our own families. Like they're like brothers to me, some of them. And so, you know, I am not going to go out of my way to portray them badly. Uh, but also now I don't, if they are having a bad season, I don't feel obligated to try and well, maybe there's yeah. also there's also two different things like uh, number one it is not more interesting to just crap on a team all the time it's just not no even if it's bad even if it's worthy it, you know it does like you're the owen owen 17 football team or you know vanderbilt bat, bat football or what like it's just not as interesting like fans get tired of it media get tired of it players and coaches get tired of it uh, also it means that when you are critical of the team it carries less weight if you are constantly doing that as well. So like it doesn't serve anybody to actually just be like there's a couple radio hosts that might be able to do that <laughs> where they can just right, but, breathe, breathe but, fire but, all the but, time. But, but if just, you're covering the team, it doesn't actually serve the audience, the fan, the team or the reporter to just constantly be doing that stuff. I mean, especially if you're in a reporter position. I mean, if to your point, 
there are unnamed uh, radio hosts that we will not mention here. That, I can't that imagine. Actually... I can't imagine who you two <laughs> might be referring to right now. I, the, just who... Kayla. Just Kayla Anderson. Just Kayla Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Kayla, he's Kay- Kayla, Kayla. The, the, the well-known, uh, the, the, the catching, well-known team scrapper. Catching strays on the on the show today. We love you, Kayla. But, but I mean, but to your point, to your point, I mean, it's just not. It, it's not what a reporter does. It's just not. I mean, Emma, your job is there to explain, and so I'm interested in kind of kind of what you took when you crossed back over into the light here. What was the first thing that you kind of wanted to explain? like a story that you wanted to tell that i mean not that the team didn't want you to tell it or whatever else but you were like ooh i feel the freedom to do x yeah i think maybe one of the biggest things and this is probably not where you were expecting me to take this but i'm going to take it there anyway is maybe i i think people have a tendency to portray or to treat professional athletes and coaches and general managers, et cetera, like they're just objects and they're not human beings. And so people will kind of crap on people and say, so-and-so needs to be fired. They need to be traded. They're awful, whatever. And that's, I'm not even necessarily saying like, Hey, don't say that because it might be true, but it's kind of like, I've been able to, you know, like, for example, if someone is going on a rant on Twitter about, like Andrew Brunette or John Hines or whoever it was is an absolute idiot. Like how could they make this decision? Like they weren't thinking blah, blah, blah. I could say, well, actually I sat in front of John Hines on the team plane for every single trip, every single road trip. I was privy to a lot of conversations that he had about this particular topic. I'm not going to go into detail about, you know, because again, that that comes with maintaining those relationships and maintaining the trust of the people involved. But I will go so far as to say he didn't he wasn't not thinking about it. He actually labored belabored over this, like was really thinking about this a lot. And, you know, a lot went into it. And there are a lot of things that a lot of elements to this particular issue or this decision that people aren't aware of that people don't see. And so I think like the biggest thing for me was, and and I'm not going to, that's not to say that I was going to go, you know, on a crusade to defend everyone in the predators organization at all costs and that they can do no wrong. It was more just like, it, it gave me personally a lot more perspective that even now that I am in a position where I can criticize other teams or this team about, you know, the decisions they make, whatever, I'm a lot more hesitant to do so, at least in a public forum, because it gave me a lot of perspective because I'm like, you know what, there's so much that I don't know about what happened behind the scenes. I can have opinions for sure. Everyone is entitled to their opinion, but I'm not going to go so far as to say this general manager who has had this job and, you know, is far more qualified than I am. I'm not going to go on a tirade and say he should lose his job or something like that, because I don't know. You know, I think social media gives people, gives a platform to a lot of people who really shouldn't have one. Um, And so I try to not feed into that. And, you know, there's a fine line, like I said, between having opinions and then trying to force them on other people. And, and that's kind of where I landed with it. It's like you learn about the grind, about 
the the certain things that you learn. And that's why I'm glad I had the experience. Like I, I will say, I do agree. I've crossed back over into the light now, but <laughs> I'm glad that I had the experience. Like I, because I feel like it has informed my work so much and it, you know, there's so many things that I wouldn't know or that I wouldn't have if I hadn't done that because like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So I'm glad that I had the experience. I learned so much from it. And now I can take that back over to the, the bright side and, you know, kind of use that to inform the work that I do now. It's, it sounds, it's weird, but I think there's something easy about, um, and I've thought about it a couple of different times in my career where, you know, crossing that street and you go like the ignorance is not the right word, but just sort of the blinders that you put on the blinders and you pull in the same direction and you have a, an agenda and a goal, which is to be a part of an organization that's trying to accomplish X, Y, or Z. And there is, a, there is a lot of, um, I don't want to say like joy in that ease, but like relief maybe. But what it does is it provides you like an incredible working knowledge because every every building is different. Vanderbilt's different than Tennessee and Carolina Hurricanes are different than the Predators and the Titans are different than the Steelers and like every organization is different. And so having institutional knowledge of how it all functions should allow you to. And again, I, my question ultimately is, how has the process been removing the filter and having your brain toggle sort of back and forth between I'm free to do what I want, but also have the balance of understanding relationships. But also, I've got this knowledge that not very many people have. Because um, I, I, it's it's got to be incredibly valuable as a foundational understanding of the organization to then come back out and be able to explain things to fans in a better way than than most writers can. Yeah, I, I will say old habits die hard. It's It's something that, you know, at first my first thought is like, wow, I'm free. You know, I, I'm free to have thoughts. I'm free to have original thoughts about things again. And, you know, I can have opinions, but it was something that in theory I liked, but in execution, it was almost like muscle memory. When the, you know, my first Predators lost that I covered for the hockey writers, I started writing my game recap, trying to point out here are all the positive things that the Preds did. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't have to do that anymore. And it's not saying that you should gloss over the positive things or not talk about them and be like, oh, they lost. So we can only talk about bad things. It's more just like, oh, I can have a more well-rounded approach to this now. And I don't only have to look at the good or only have to look at the bad and be like, yeah, they lost, you know, eight to two, but how about that face-off percentage? You know, I, I don't need to try to twist things, you know, to, to fit a certain narrative anymore. And I can, it's a very you know, specific reference, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> old habits die hard. Okay. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, there's, it's something that has been a little bit of a, a slower process because it was a slow process for me to get into that and just be like, okay, yeah. I can only talk about the good thing. And like you said, having those blinders was sometimes nice because there are certain things that something would happen, you know, within the organization or outside of the organization or on the ice, off the ice, whatever. There are certain things where you, even as a journalist, want to be like, wow, I do not want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. And when you work for the team, 
that there's your excuse. You're like, oh, sorry, I can't have an yeah. opinion on this. Yeah. Like, cause I, I work for the team, you know, I'm not me. I am an extension of the team. And so my opinion is irrelevant here. So there are certain things like that where it's almost easier to kind of cop out and be like, mm, sorry, I, I have no comment on that. Now it's, you know, it's more freedom, but it's almost, you have more responsibility as a respected voice in the industry, you know, people are going to look to you, not just for news, but for analysis of that news. And I have found, you know, it is harder because you do kind of worry about not pissing people off because you're always going to piss people off. Like the predators could trade for Connor McDavid and people would still be pissed off. Like it just, you're always yep. going to yep. upset people. Can't make, any, but, can't, can't make everybody happy. Right. And so it's not just about making people happy, but it's more about, like in this day and age, I don't want to say one thing and then get canceled for it. Or, you know, people think of me a certain way or whatever. Cause I just don't like engaging. I don't like stirring the pot just for the hell of it. Like if I'm going to make a semi controversial comment on something, it's going to be something that I feel pretty strongly about. And so I think that, you know, it, like I said, more freedom to have opinions and to talk about things, but there's also more responsibility that you are expected to have opinions on certain yeah. things. So you can't always cop out when you want to. It's it's the freedom to not have the freedom that f I find sort of like relief, relieving to think about like as, as in that role. But again, uh, we're all on this side of the street, so it's not a part of my brain process anymore. But to your point, and that's what we were talking about earlier, like when you if you're going to be controversial and you're going to be authentic about it, or you're going to be have a strong opinion about a particular situation or be critical and not personal, but critical of a certain situation. If you don't, if you're, if you don't do it very often, it carries more weight and is therefore more important. And I think people should listen to it more. So I think that's, uh, that's excellently the excellent. It's an excellent place to end it. Emma, uh, where can people find your work right now, by the way? Uh, as I mentioned, I am, covering the Predators and the NHL for the Hockey Writers. Uh, and I post all my work on my Twitter account, so Emma underscore Lingen. And I can also be found on the Gold Standard Podcast on the 440 Sports Network talking about the Preds. Well done. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for coming on. We do appreciate it. Nice, nice tie me. in there. <laughs> <laughs> That was Emma Lingen of the Hockey Writers and the Gold Standard Podcast, and you can hear across a lot of different platforms these days. Uh, and I think she offers incredible insight. I, Steve, I don't wish I would have gone to work for like the SEC uh, or or like uh, you know a, a, a team in the SEC before I went to college football coverage. But at the same time, I also see like I could see every reporter in sports like working for a team first being just an incredible asset to then cross the street and have all these sources, have all this inside information, institutional working knowledge of how things function. It is an incredible asset to be able to leave uh, an organization and have that year and a half long experience, especially her year and a half where the Preds did in fact change GMs for the only time in franchise history, changed coaches and uh, traded off a ton of pieces and like began a new era of hockey. I mean, I, she got, she got a really good look at what organizational change looks like and at any point if you took a job in the in the in the predator organization that was not a guaranteed thing yeah i mean i mean it was matter of fact it's pretty much guaranteed not to happen 
and I, I think it's I, I think it's really interesting, uh, kind of kind of the the time she served inside, and kind of like what she's going to do with it now yep. here yep. on the outside. Uh, all right, uh, we'll talk MLS in a second, but we are brought to you by our wonderful and amazing sponsors at Eighth and Roast. That's right. You can catch Steve at the Eighth Avenue location. You can catch me over at Charlotte quite frequently, but most importantly, you can catch those better beans. In every and most grocery stores all over the city, eighth and roast beans—they are just better. You can also pop in. They they do all kinds of cool stuff at their locations too. Like like they were teaching people how to like brew brew coffee in different ways over at their Charlotte location. They've got we do a gathering with one of my other shows, Pod Bless Nashville. Of course, uh, we gather on the first Tuesday of each month to discuss uh, the Metro Council on you know goings on. Uh, but they they host those kinds of things and um, just a really interesting and unique company in the city doing good stuff, better beans, more ethically sourced beans. Right. And uh, if you're like me, who likes a good jolt of espresso in the afternoon, swing by one of your eighth and roast locations in the city. One of four Vanderbilt Airport, although you're not just swinging by the airport. That's not a good thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can. It's I mean, not until we get but... not until we get a high capacity. <laughs> <laughs> transit route to the airport <laughs> so we can go, save go, so go ce- celebrate light rail with uh eighth and roast <laughs> go, go uh, to eighth and roast everybody okay so the mls season gets started this weekend uh and in fact but on thursday evening we're taping this before the match but uh nashville sc will play in a are are you okay with ccc match or is it Concacaf champions league like what are you what are you going to call it nashville sc Concacaf champions cup i have it, it's they they played brilliantly. Build, they they played brilliantly last night. From what build, I, I'm guessing, you can't build tradition uh, in a competition until you name the competition the same thing more than like four years in a row. <laughs> just saying that Concacaf, just free free advice. Well, um, but, but Concacaf just rolls off the tongue so easily. So. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm excited for him. Uh, you know. They should they should power through the first couple of rounds of this. You know, the question's going to be when they when they hit. They play, my, they, play my, they play Miami in the second round if they win on Thursday night. It, depending on when you're listening to this, <laughs> I, I, oh, I I'm sorry, I thought that was a third round. Um, you know, they should power through this first round match. I mean, I'm probably jinxing the hell out of this. Yeah, we have because we're recording this before the game and the podcast comes out um, after, after the game. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk um, about the team. Let's talk about the team here, Steve. Because I, I, first of all, there's two major factors that I want to ask you about, and this is almost sports analysis here, less media. Uh, the, the referee thing is fascinating because referees are one of the things that in every sport is is the easiest and laziest thing to criticize in all of sports is referees. Generally speaking, they do a much better job than the average fan will ever acknowledge. But there is currently a referee strike with the MLS refs and the organization. So uh, number one, I want to know like predict well, it's technically a lockout, a lockout, sorry, predict some coverage and, and some reactions to this first weekend of MLS soccer with, and we don't know how long it's going to go with all these, like, are there some, am I reading stuff that's correct that people have never, like never even re- like ref a game anywhere close to this level. No, that's, that's wrong. Uh, what, what you're going to find is basic. Now, I, here's what I would say. If for some reason you're listening to this and you're the fan of a lower division of soccer, <laughs> uh, um, 
and your referees just got raided to uh, break an MLS strike. Um, I got to tell you, the, the the level of the level of refereeing that's going to go on at like uh, at like USL two games is Ooh. is Ooh. that that you may have some people coming in off the street. So the trickle down effect but, is what you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, so they're going to pull up referee like like the the guy that that they pulled up for the Miami RSL game uh, here refed a refed a bunch of USL stuff last year, um, and, and by all accounts. A, a decent referee. Uh, I was reading the match reports this morning. You know, did did okay. I guess. I guess yeah. he wasn't the did okay. He didn't, Great. He didn't cause anyone to win or lose the game, which is which is what you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but bar. but it's it, it's a so it's a real problem though. If this yeah. is going to last for any for any yeah. any length of time, there's a really interesting note that came out from from uh, the league where they said that they're not going to announce referees until game day you typically you get like referee lineups like like midweek uh like like you get announcers and i i i think that because you know because you can bet on these games I, my guess is that Oof. they are trying to that there is there's security concerns uh and that they want to make sure that they are not potentially impinging on the integrity of the game what a total shit they, show what a shit show. Yeah, no, it, it's a it, it's a it's a real it's a real mess. Yeah. Um okay. So well, I, I I would I what and what I would say too is um uh I, I don't think that ML at the MLS level, I mean the MLS refereeing is decent. Uh I, I don't think the fall off is gonna be too dramatic. Uh but the longer this sort of drags on the, kind I, of the worse it is. I think the only good to come of this is an is a greater appreciation of the refs that they did have. I think that's that's the only good that comes yeah. of this is that fans. I mean, the, 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 fans there are World Cup give, caliber referees. Yeah, just give the guys World a Cup break. caliber referees that, that that are that are being locked out right now, and that's that, that's not what you want. No, nope, you want those you guys want. on the field. Uh, particularly, I'm, I'm sure the, I'm sure the the guys at Apple are thrilled. Uh, with with what they're paying for yeah. secondhand referees here. Well, I I don't know if only they were in a position of power to help pay the refs more. <laughs> if, if only, if only. It's not like they have more money than God sitting in the basement doing nothing. Uh, okay, <laughs> quickly here on expectations for the team because I find this to be an interesting conversation that we had last year about this same time, which is that this this past season outside of getting to the league's cup championship match against Messi and hosting Messi in what was an extraordinary experience in Nashville, Tennessee. The season was especially the second half, largely disappointing. Uh, the team has failed to evolve from a strategy standpoint, a style standpoint, uh, sort of a, a structure standpoint that the, the midfield is old. I looked at 17 experts on MLS.com's preview on predictions in the Eastern conference out of 17 people. One had them at fifth, Three had them at seventh, and the other 13 people had them eighth or worst, which there's a good chance means that they're not projected out of the, to playoffs. Out of the playoffs. I think they are better than that because I think Gary Smith ball and the defense and almost all the starting lineup coming back with the exception of a couple of names is going to give them an opportunity to have a pretty high floor to probably make the playoffs again. But I don't think a sixth or seventh place finish and another first round exit is going to speak very highly of general manager Mike Jacobs or Gary Smith. So what's the right way to look at this season? Um, have we finally reached the point where, 
you know, I'm six years into season tickets from the USL through the MLS, four years of Geodis. Am I allowed to be like, hey, score some effing goals and let's win some playoff games? I mean, it, the, the I guess the 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 tension here is going to be six years of you've had six years of Gary Smith, right? Like the so you've seen that's Gary some Ball USL for a long time. that's some USL stuff for sure. So yeah, no, and 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 to be fair, they scored a bunch of goals, particularly that 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 last season in USL. Um, I I I will be interested. They needed to get younger and faster, uh, and by all indications, they did. Um, you know. Tyler Boyd, I think, is a really good addition on the wings. Uh, the I, I think that a, a full season with Sam Surge up top is going to be is going to be really interesting. By all accounts, he looked really good in preseason. Um, I I will be I will be really interested to see what where the team decides is mid is mid range good enough. And, and if at some point mm. during the season, if they are below expectations, do they make a change? Do they make a change. At, do they make a change at coach? Um, this well, team is built around this team is built to play Gary's style. And so if you make a change, you have to, you, you have to evolve from that style. You can't just impose a, a completely different style because you may you may or may no, not I have know. the roster in order in order to do that. Well, and I think to your point, like again, some of the additions could help speed talent and and offensive finishing off the wing and at the top of the formation. That does not solve one of their main problems, which of course is young and fast in the midfield, which is what right now they do not have. Now they've gotten they went and got some pieces that could develop into that. So if you could add that sort of that challenge from the interior to what they already do, then maybe that's the evolution of the game slightly that makes them more potent on top. So I, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch what happens, how the fans react. So there, there were not, there were what, a lot of empty seats in the last couple of months of the, of the season last year. So what I would say is that, is that you, the, because they play close games, uh, they are a high variance team, uh, a goal, one way or the other yeah. tends to flip the outcome. And so if they're going to continue to be that high variance team, you know, two years ago, the luck sort of went their way, but last year, particularly in the league's cup, the luck went their way. Yeah. Uh, and then after league's cup, they sort of petered out because I think they were, they had a short roster. They were, they, they were kind of, they were kind of worn out and, and, and limped into the playoffs. And so, what's what's going to happen this year that makes all that different? Now that they're they've added another competition to the mix. Yep, it's so, very interesting to see. That, and if you'd like really great coverage, the Club and Country podcast over on the Four Forty Sports Network will have you covered. Um, and just to say, shout out to Wes Bowling and his family. Thinking about you guys right now. I know you're going through a lot. Uh, I know you wish you were talking soccer right now, but uh, some slappy is going to help fill in on that show uh, and and try to support Tim Sullivan. Um, You'll recognize the voice, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> no. But go Sorry, check guys. it out. Tim, Tim does a Sorry, great job. Fans, yeah. Tim does a great job, and uh, I will, I will try to uh, pass the ball as soon as I get it. <laughs> that's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Uh, okay. So quickly here, college football. will wrap up. Go to Eighth and Roast, of course. Special thanks to Emma for joining us. But uh, college football. A couple of quick notes here this week. A bunch of different people sort of met. Uh, board of managers, commissioners, etc. 
The first thing they did was establish a five and seven model for the playoff for these first two years, which is five automatic bids and then uh, seven at larges. But the news that came out on Wednesday was that now we could be going to a 14 team playoff in 2026 when the contract begins. And here's my question for you, Steve. Do you want to see North versus South, like a 24 team North and a 24 team SEC, and you only have a tournament in the postseason in the Southeastern Conference and in the Big Ten, and the winner of each of those tournaments, a la the AFC NFC, plays in the national championship game? Do you want to see it like no. that? Because that's the direction we're headed. No, I would I love an all S- an all SEC tournament that also adds like Oklahoma State and North Carolina and Clemson and Florida State. I think a Seven-team SEC playoff? That'd be awesome. No. Okay. No, I, I don't. I, I want to see. I want to see variants. I want to see surprise. I want to see. I want to see other parts of college football, uh, in the tournament. I want to see. I, I want to see TCU in there. I want to see uh, a West Coast team in there. I want to see these things. I mean, I think. I think you'd well, still get that with Washington's. I mean, Washington's going to be in the Big Ten now, but I mean, USC, you know, UCLA, Oregon, all West Coast teams in the Big Ten would qualify. Yeah, um, I, I, think- I, I want, I want surprise. Okay. The, 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 we have learned this from the from the basketball tournament. It is not the powers that make the tournament. It is, it, it is the surprises. Except it is the, it is the, the end. It is the thirteenth. You're not it right is about the 13 this. 13 seed that upsets. Uh, I'm absolutely right about this. <laughs> no, you're not. The it ratings the go seed. down. No, hang on. The, in the first two rounds and the first weekend, you are a million percent correct. That is what draws ratings. That is not what draws ratings in the final four. When George Mason is in there and VCU is in there and Butler's in there, ratings go way down. No one wants to watch Cinderella. No one wants to watch Georgia beat TCU 65 to 7. They don't want that. They want it in the first round. They want big boy versus big boy in the championship settings. The ratings go down when Cinderella goes and they further. often and they often they often get that because of the size of the tournament. But if you don't have if you don't have that variance early in this tournament, uh, it, when, I, when the tournament goes just like pure chalk, people get really bored. Really no, quickly. I I agree. I still think that happens in a fourteen team tournament. I think the first two rounds give you a lot of upsets. I think at the end we're tricking ourselves into. I was kidding kind of about the the structure, but I think that's where we're headed, which is a massive Southern conference and a massive Northern conference. And they're going to battle, which we already kind of have anyway. Um, and so it's just, they're just going to keep growing and getting bigger and uh, then they're going to play each other. But now again, the story this week, 14 team playoff, which as a college football awesome. fan, I'm down with that as a college football fan. Uh, just go, but, just go to just go to sixteen. I mean, you're just kidding yourself at this point, but right? But you better pay the player. Well, no, the NFL is 14. So I think 14 makes sense. Seven and seven. North versus South, baby. We fought a war over this. Let's bring it back to college football. The, the third one, the make third the civil war great again. Does not make more sense. I mean, it's just go go to go to sixteen. You got the bracket, and 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 it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the civil war great again. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I've lost my mind. Uh, please, I need some coffee. Is what it is. I need some eighth and roast. That's what is that? That's what I need. Eighth, eighth and roast. All right, get us out of here. Good. I need to go away. For Steve Cavendish, I'm Braden Gall. Thanks to Emma for joining us. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. MLS is back. That's right. And it's not just a tournament in Orlando. It's a tur- It's the, the season is back. So go to Geodis Park and check it out. It's a tournament in the Caribbean. <laughs> there you go. We are done talking. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.